Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sportstone podcast. Liverpool breakdown, Liverpool, Brentford, Anfield. Gloomy day, the cold weather is back in England, back in Liverpool. And Liverpool got the 3 0 win over Brentford. An important win it was in context of the the league position, but I think also contextually in terms of performances and the sort of side that Brentford is. Um, Jurgen Klopp himself said is that what Thomas Frank has created at Brentford is a side that no one wants to play against. Um, and that is, that is true, just because of how physical they are, how well um, set up in their press they are, how well set up out of possession they are, and how dangerous transitionally they can be in, in the home ground, even dictating the play. Um, at Anfield, you never, you never expect them to dictate the play. I, I don't think that was a realistic expectation. Um, so it was an important win. Um, I think I think also you have to put in the fact that Liverpool just came off a draw with Luton and, uh, and lost to Toulouse. So um, in lens of that, just getting a win itself was important as well. But I, I thought the performance, um, just to sort of get that out there, I thought the performance itself was, um, it was solid. It was what it needed to be. It wasn't special. It wasn't bad. There wasn't uh, any many disastrous performances out there. There also weren't, um, this is not the game that you're going to remember like, oh, I was there when Liverpool absolutely demolished Brentford and Liverpool absolutely played scintillating lights out football. No, they did what they needed to do and that's what they've been doing in Anfield all year. They've been doing what they needed to do and they get the job done and they get the job done pretty convincingly in the end. Um, so there, let's get into sort of breaking this match down. Um, the first thing I want to focus on is Brentford's out-of-possession setup. It was a 5-3-2 out-of-possession, quite a compact low block, but once again, uh, I, I just don't like that word low block being thrown out there because I think low block has to be contextualized. The reason Brentford were sitting deep was because they understand Liverpool can at times struggle to break down low blocks, but it's their best chance to make Liverpool's rest defense falter. Sit, absorb, counter. Sit, absorb, counter. Win physical duels, counter. That, that, it's, that's the best recipe to success. And Thomas Frank knew that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it was quite a compact low block. Um, and Liverpool looked to switch switch out um, as wide often as they could um, and play as quick as possible, try and break it down. The reason they played wide was because, as I said, that the block was quite com- compact. The back five would at times be all within sort of the confines of the box and someone like Salah would be sitting, sitting on the touchline so then when he would get the ball someone would come out to him drawing out the defender and then they would perhaps make an overlapping run drawing out another defender that's that's why they look to go wide um, and yeah Brentford clearly looked to feast off transitional situations um, in terms of how they set up against Liverpool's first phase um, it seemed a man-to-man press against Liverpool's build-up um, but it was quite difficult for them to cope with Liverpool's build-up due to the different rotations that this Liverpool build-up has got. Um, and I think we've seen this probably since the... I'm going to say the Aston Villa game. I think that's where we start start to see the shifts in build-up. But I guess to just to sort of lay out the groundwork of what this Liverpool build-up is, it's usually a... Um, you can call it a 4-2... Um, I, I don't think 4-2 is necessarily accurate. I think you can call it a 3-2 if you want to count the left-back as being part of the build-up. Um, but I, I, I just think putting a numerical sort of structure to that build-up doesn't make sense because of the rotations there are. Um, but yeah, you have Van Dijk and Matip who are the 
the crux of the build-up there, the ball-playing centre-backs who will play those vertical line-breaking passes. You have usually the CDM and usually Trent together in a box, um, but Trent's role is quite fluid, as we've discussed on this podcast throughout the whole season. You, you might want to go listen to the other episodes. Liverpool's tactical fluidity is mentioned in almost every episode. It's probably not a major topic I'm going to focus on in this episode because I want to focus on some specific game plans for Brentford. Um, I, I find that the best, the most effective ideation. Um, but yeah, Trent's build-up role is quite fluid. He can be in the box midfield. He can sit on the edge of the block, um, almost like a... Um, I think I saw a good description on Twitter, almost like a quarterback. Um, I want to credit that person, but I can't remember the name right now. Um, I, I think I remember the name um, when I sort of edit this podcast and put 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 their Twitter down in the description because I think it's important to credit whoever's coming up with these ideas. But yeah, almost like a quarterback role where you have sort of vision of what's going on and then you make that pass, right? Um, and that's what he was doing. He was actually sitting outside the block like a quarterback would ideally you do sit outside the block um at times he would also be a third center back um and at times he would be sort of up parallel to the left back in terms of width um and at times endo would become that third center back uh allison would be playing as the plus one and being quite heavily involved in build up Salah would drop deep and something new that we saw this game and i really liked was that sometimes you even get Salah dropping a bit deeper into midfield um i'm not saying as deep as sort of a Salah would go but probably um, more of an interior position than a winger position. And I didn't mind that because what that's doing is it's drawing defenders out, it's drawing attention, and that's how you create spaces. That's how you um, create entropy, I guess, within play. And that's what I thought was very good with the Liverpool build-up. What wasn't very good... um, I think pace, once again, wasn't very good. Instead of being fast, I thought it was slow. Um, but we'll come to that because I have a pretty big point to make um, around pace of, of how Liverpool played. But yeah, um, Liverpool looked to be quite aggressive um, in the press slash counter press, as they always are. That's their identity. Um, but it's very important in games such as these. It was very important in games such as the Everton game to be aggressive in this press and, and the counter press because when you win the ball back when the opposition isn't organized it is your best chance against a team that is so stringently compact so organized otherwise out of possession um and that's what the first goal came from which we'll break down how that first goal came from but yeah it's sort of your best opportunity to pounce by when you win the ball when the opposition is unorganized and that's usually how a counter press works or how a high press works um something interesting that i did note though um and it was between the 30th and 35th minute I'm fairly sure, I'm fairly confident on the broadcast you could hear Jurgen Klopp shouting, quicker, quicker. He was exclaiming, he was angry. Um, that is the key to breaking down low blocks for me. From, from the way I look at football, um, I, I feel rhythm, tempo, pace is the key to breaking down low blocks. Obviously, patterns and, and complexity and, and rotations and, and technical prowess is obviously all important. But I, I think the, the at, at the forefront of all of this is pace. Against Everton, with ten, uh, against Everton with 10 men, so essentially the whole second half, I thought Liverpool were far too slow. Even I think Everton went down to 10 men around the 30, 35th minute. Once again, I don't have the exact number on me, but Liverpool, had a, Liverpool definitely had a period in the first half where Everton went down to 10 men. They looked quite rattled, they looked quite shaky, and they just didn't go with them. They played settled, they played slow, and that's that's my issue. I think that's far too slow. 
what in my opinion will take this side to the next level and I trust me it's there like I, I know this team you can say is potentially missing a few pieces with McAllister playing with that six and that sort of lack of depth in defense but tactically and sort of uh, ideologically there is unreal potential with this side right now and it can even get better which is what makes it scary but yeah, what will take this side to the next level is finding the balance between being overly direct, but also overly restrained and far too predictable and horizontal. Liverpool's identity is quick vertical play. They must stick to that, but they can't stick to that to the extent they did against Chelsea game one, where it was hyper-attacking, it was hyper-direct, and it was chaos. It was, it was ridiculous. But if they shorten the distances between players, have these complex rotations, they do. Have this fluidity, they do and understand the game states, they can reach the necessary evolution. What do I mean by understanding the game states? Know when to play fast, know when to play slow, and know when to control, know when to make uh, your rotations, know, know when to drop deeper, know when to invert, know when to drop outside the block, etc. You, you understand what I'm saying? If you understand the timing of this, and there is a timing, because... You can't play fast the whole game because then that becomes predictable. What, what oppositions will do is I'll just step up um, or put pressure, aggressive pressure on the ball, and they'll win the ball back. And then you'll constantly be sort of defending transitions. And then ironically, you won't have the ball after sort of looking to advance the ball too fast. You're gonna, not going to have the ball. But when you're playing too slow, oppositions can drop off, soak, 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 and then transition. And then that creates frustration amongst fans as well, a big intangible, especially in Anfield. So you want to play faster especially against the low blocks. And that, that was the initial idea before I went off on my tangent. I thought Liverpool didn't play fast enough at times in this game. But there was clearly a conscious attempt to play faster than they did against Everton. So why? Why is playing fast against low blocks effective in my opinion? Because I think the most chaotic, the most disorganised and the most uh, the hardest task defense defending wise is when there is pace and crispness in play what do i mean by that quick passes short passes bunch of different patterns of passes dribbling quickly because there is less time to react and if there is less time to react there is a high chance that your reaction is not going to be organized let's let me give you a hypothetical example let's say the ball has been switched out all the way to the right wing, Mohamed Salah on the touchline, Brentford are playing their compact 5-3-2, the, the left wing back comes out to Salah. What does Salah do? He quickly finds an overlapping run of um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who then finds an underlapping cut from Dominic Sobosly, who then collapses the defence and goes into the box, and there is a plethora of options there, whether it's Darwin Nunez, Diego Jota, Cody Gakpo, but the issue, problem, what I've, what has happened here is when there's been two to three actions of play, two to three different runs, there's been crisp passes, that's pace. Obviously, what I've presented to you is a very utopian scenario, if that did happen, it would be some of the most scintillating football you've ever seen. Am I asking them to produce that? No. What I'm asking them to produce is tempo and, and then quickness, because that is what will lead to the disorganized reactions that you want out of low blocks. Yeah, and I, I guess this is the best best stage to move on to the, the other plan that I saw from Liverpool in trying to break down this Brentford out-of-possession structure. It was overlapping runs. Um, and it's exactly sort of that, that hypothetical that I just stretched, um, just laid out for you. Another plan Liverpool had was overlapping runs that made Brentford stretch from their compact to going out wide in their block. And while the defenders were adjusting to go out wide, they would send a runner into the half space 
And then there's always going to be a space there because that space has been left because the defender is stretching. Unless the midfielder follows that run into the into the half space, which is ideally, once again, what should have been done. But it's very hard to do in, in such a physical and taxing game. Um, so at times, Nunez, I think in the first 20 minutes, Nunez had a chance with Salah brilliantly playing him, be, playing him in behind into the half space before his shot was at the keeper. It was a tough angle, but that's the type of play. I think Sabasla had quite a few runs with Salah or Trent Alexander-Arnold playing him into the half space. That's the sort of stuff because it's very hard to track that run. And even if they track it a few times, I find it very hard that they're going to track it every single time. Let's come to the first call. Peak Liverpool vibes. Peak. Centre-back steps up in the counter-press, wins the tackle. Trent spots the disorganisation and the gaps um, in the block because you've just lost the ball when you're meant to be attacking. You've lost the ball when you've just regained the ball. So it's very obvious you're not going to be fully organized in your 5-3-2 you're going to be in flux and that's the word that's the description i like to use you're in sort of a a flux position state you've just lost possession and now you're sort of transitioning into coming back into out of possession structure that's when you have to pounce and that's why the counter press is so effective in these games as i said because you get that counter press right you win the ball when the opposition doesn't win, want to win you win the ball then you pounce when they're in flux and that's exactly what Trent Lazar Arnold did and that's why he's a genius and that's why it, it sometimes infuriates me the amount of sort of lack of perception and I, I see on, on social media regarding Trent Alexander-Arnold's role. He's not an inverted fullback. He's not a, a traditional fullback. He, he, his role is very nuanced. I think what is the the best thing to say is that Trent Alexander-Arnold is still a defender. I think that's the best thing to say because he still has defensive responsibilities that are quite important. I think that's the, 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 the only accurate thing you can say. But this guy's his technical and tactical prowess was a complete work in this goal um his first scan was directly into the vertical space where Nunez was free because he knew that's where the space had to be free because Brentford had to be disorganized cool you know that now you have to make that pass he made that pass that's remarkable and then you have to give credit to Darwin Nunez as well what a first touch pass and I think that's what Klopp was saying um in his post-match press conference where he said Nunez linked the the game very well he tied up the game very well the first goal was a great example of it and Mo Salah great composure he made it look easy it's it's a goal that he back into score but still yeah I, I thought he did quite well there um and so yeah having Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matip play the way they did against Brentford especially van Dijk but I think Matip's performance goes under sort of underrated at times he was very good as well in terms of his tackle winning Stepping up in that counter press, stepping up close to those sort of Brentford two attackers, which they could essentially just man mark if they wanted to, and at times then Thomas Frank would take them wide, um, but that would leave them very central. That would leave them very sort of centrally isolated or centrally stale, and make it sort of too easy if they just sent those attackers out wide because then Van Dijk and Matip have some time to do with everything else. Um, but yeah, especially in terms of just winning those tackles by stepping up, it's so important for Liverpool to play the way they want. Think about the peak Liverpool era. Think about how they won the ball. Think about how often they circulate the ball. Think about how quickly vertical they were played. It's because the centre-backs were at work. The players in midfield, the midfield playing to attack. It was all very fluid. It was all very rhythmic. And it was all very, um, like a chaotic machine working. And that's the way Jürgen Klopp likes to describe it. Coming back to Trent, and coming back to Trent's defensive positioning. I thought his defensive positioning was tested quite heavily in, in rest defense. I think I thought the best example was a play 
once again Klopp mentioned this play in his in his post-match press conference by the way if you haven't listened to Klopp's post-match press conference from this match I think it's worth listening to I think sometimes the press conference becoming a bit bit, bit, bit negative bit sort of tense because of some of his relationships with reporters and some of the ways he responds to questions but I thought this one against Brentford was decently insightful um but yeah, the best example where Trent's defensive positioning was tested, especially in rest defense, was from a classic um, set piece. Um, it was a play following a corner around the 30th minute, and Bumo is a central attacking outlet from Brentford. One through ball, and then Bumo is through um, because Liverpool's midfield rest defensive structure sort of ceased to exist in that moment. Um, and so Trent was, I think, tossed from staying back and monitoring and Bumo. Um, but he's completely very wide, and the boomer is quite central. He's not tight enough to him at all, so he's scampering and trying to recover. Um, so he just seemed too wide. He just seemed too detached. Um, and I think you just have to be tied out to shadow someone like Brian and Bumo. Um, so I thought that was a few tests that he had defensively, especially rest defensively, um, especially because he's sometimes involved in those corners quite, quite heavily. But in this one, he, he didn't take this one. Um, but yeah, I, I think that lays the groundwork in terms of what happened sort of tactically and systemically, how, how both teams set up and how both teams look to break each other down. Now I want to focus on the individual performances. I want to give a shout out to Diogo Jota. I think his form, I think his form, yeah, ever since the international break really has been great. He's looked very sharp in all his actions. He's looked very tactically aware he's just look like every time he gets the ball he's going to make something happen um i think with the frustration that sometimes local fans have with diego jota is that he can feel a bit lost with his dribbling actions like what, what what are you trying to do where are you trying to go um sometimes you can also feel a bit lost with his positioning but i thought he's yeah i thought he's played very well um since the international break and uh, it's not a surprise i think diego jota has had a very successful career he scored goals in crunch matches he's he's scored a good volume of goals he's had he's had a few bad injuries like last year um but i think we're seeing a, a sort of a rhythm and a momentum in his play and i thought once again against brentford he was great um he ended up scoring a, a great goal but i also thought he made very sort of in the second half especially i thought he made a few surging runs um that were quite good, and uh, I thought he troubled Brentford's defence. Coming to, I think, the performance that everyone wants to sort of hear about, and um, the performance that has been come under the most scrutiny, is Wataru Endo. Once again, I think over-glorified. Over um, the the lack of quality in his performance is over-glorified, because I really didn't think he was that bad. In fact, I thought it was actually good for the first half of the game. For the first half, I thought Endo was quite controlled. He won the duels that he was required to win and made the passes that he was required to make. I think the most damning conclusion, I don't even think it's that bad, the most damning conclusion you can take out, out from the first half is that you can certainly see that Endo has his limits and, and his boundaries. I don't think it's feasible to expect Endo to make a scintillating vertical pass which breaks two lines. What Endo will do is he will play the open passing option, which is fine, in cycling the ball and progressing the phase. That's fine. In the second half, I think this is where the scrutiny all came from. In the second half, as he fatigued, the worry that Liverpool fans have regarding Watarendo's ability to uh, adapt to the pace of the Premier League was, I think, a bit more, bit more 
sort of out there. Uh, I think we could see that there were a few struggles in keeping up with the pace of the game as he fatigued. Um, he was late into tackles and he seemed very desperate to win every duel, perhaps too desperate and too aggressive. And I think he forgot about things like potty positioning and then shadow defending. It was sort of just like, you've got the ball, I'm going to go get the ball, no matter how. I'm just going to figure out a way to get that ball. And at times it's a bit of a sort of a... Uh, sort of a medieval chivalry or a chauvinistic view. I think you just got to chill out. Uh, you have to play the system. You have to play the angles. And that's then you give yourself the best chance to get the ball because you sort of suffocate and, and tie up the opposition through your body positioning and shadow marking. And then the duel is there to win. But he was sort of just going to win the duels and he was late to them and he was, he was getting a bit ugly is what I thought of Endo. But I thought in the first half he was quite controlled. I think... I think you have to lower your expectations. Wataru Endo is not going to be... Um, I don't know. He's not going to be... An Amrabat. He's not going to be a Rodri. He's not going to be... Uh, uh, a Leon... Or a Joshua Kimmich. Or the Thomas Tuchel doesn't like to even think of Joshua Kimmich as a number, a number six. Um, but yeah, he's not going to be... That amazing ball-playing, ball-winning defensive midfielder. What Watarendu should be is a defensive player, a defensive midfielder, who can control the game well when called upon. And what do I mean by controlling the game? Ensure he mops up the defensive mess. Sort of like a... Sort of like a one-dimensional Declan Rice. A very bad comparison, because what I'm trying to say... As a declarer, is very adept in mopping up the game, but he also has a two-way game in the fact that he drives forward, he makes a lot of passes, he, he makes a lot of half-space runs. You don't want to expect that from what Tarendo. He'll make the passes, he'll make the passes that are there, but it's all about mopping up. It's that mopping up phase that we are looking for in Watarendo. And in the second half, that phase was a bit worrying, and the first half, I thought it was quite good. I think that's that's my take on Watarendo. I want to come to Darwin Nunez. I thought Nunez was great again. Klopp had a quote in his press conference saying that Nunez linked the game very well. The quote that I mentioned earlier. For me, what this means, and I, I was sort of like, I, I like to decode managers' press conferences because I think what we sometimes forget in the journalistic world and sort of the, the media world is that there is such a knowledge gap between what we write, what we say on podcasts like these, what we write on Twitter threads, what we write on our articles, and what the manager actually knows. So when a manager says uh, just a one line, I think there's actually usually a deeper meaning to that because inside the mind of the manager, they know exactly what they mean by that one line. So for me, with that one line, Nunez linked the game very well. It means that Nunez was, for me, I, I think what Klopp is referring to was that Nunez was, always had defenders pinned on him due to the runs he makes. And when you have defenders pinned on just one guy, it opens up options for your other attackers to come in, especially in his deep-sitting side. So I think that's what it meant when Nunez linked the game very well. He was always an outlet that there was an option to because of runs he made. And those options, that, that the fact that Nunez was occupying so much attention, created other options. Um, and I think he literally linked the game very well for his for his first goal. Um, another interesting that Klopp said was that, um, and I'll read it verbatim, what impressed me about our defending was actually Darwin. His work rate to initiate the press and control Brentford's long balls. Good. These are optimistic signs because the main hesitancy, and Klopp has publicly said this, that Klopp has had in starting Nunez is not actually his attacking output. It's his pressing. It's his defensive abilities because Cody Gagpo has a decent understanding of what Klopp requires in the press. In fact, Gagpo is, in my opinion, a great 
great presser when in the front three. I think in midfield he he lacks a bit of the the awareness that the midfield block under sort of this Pepe Linders, this Jurgen Klopp regime has. Um, but Nunez, in my opinion, is definitely started. I think the work rate was always there for Nunez. I don't think the work rate was ever an issue. I thought it was sort of the 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 triggers and the the body positioning and the shadow marking abilities. I think that was the issue. But to see Klopp impressed with that is is great, and I think bodes well for the future. Okay, sort of to come to a final concluding point. What excites me about Liverpool is two things. One, what I mentioned earlier, is that there is an evolution to be made, and that evolution is underway. And if that evolution reaches its peak, there is going to be a very dangerous attacking side there. A very, very dangerous attacking side there. But the second thing that excites me about Liverpool is the versatility. The ability to control the game through your press, through sort of possession, through um, your three phases but also being so dangerous in transition. And in my opinion, Lupo's best attack, attacking moments this season have been in transition. They have scored some great transition goals against Brentford. They had some great transition chances. They didn't make the most of them. Um, and that, that is sometimes the Achilles heel for Lupo. They get into great transition situations and they sort of bottle it at the end with the final ball, the final pass. But they are so dangerous transitioning. And it makes sense, as, as I've discussed in previous podcasts, the player profiles are perfectly fit to also play a transitional side, transitional footballing style. And that's the excitement. That's where the excitement stems from. And now's when the season heats up in touch break. Then Man City. And then there's probably a run of eight games, I think, um, until the January break. They come they come quick. They come fast. It's probably where the title gets decided as well. It's probably where the, the trajectory of the season gets decided. It's exciting. And I hope you enjoyed this, sports, uh, this Liverpool breakdown. They'll be back regularly, uh, as we said. Sports and podcasts will be back I'll probably do another little breakdown during the international break, just generally talking about how Liverpool are doing. And if you did enjoy this podcast, it'd be great if you could drop a follow so you can get notified when the podcast comes. It'd be great if you could share it around so we can grow our audience base and grow the reach of this podcast. And it'd be great if you could leave some feedback and get in touch with me. We want this to be improved because goals always improve the quality. Hope you enjoyed. See you next time.